right, happy birthday, New Life. Happy birthday. Good to see you guys. It is amazing what God has done in 17 years. And uh, I want to encourage you to do this. If New Life Church has made an impact in your life in a significant way, uh, I want you guys uh, to let our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, know about that. Just send him a, send him a message on Facebook. Uh, he and Michelle have a joint account on Facebook, or if you follow him on social media, give him a shout out. And uh, let's just honor them today because we wouldn't be here if they weren't obedient to, to what God had asked them to do to leave Louisiana to come to Arkansas. It's not much of a sacrifice, I don't think, really, leaving Louisiana to come to Arkansas, but we are thankful they, they did it. Uh, you know, we do say all the time, and we, and we know that it's true, that, that we are not the best church around. Um, but I do think and believe and am humbled that I get to pastor what I believe are the best people on the planet. And so I love you guys, and I'm thankful I get to, to do life with you and pastor you all. Uh, so today's Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, how many of you guys think that the, the Pats the Pats are going to win? How many of you think the Pats are going to win? How many think the Eagles are going to win? How many think the Eagles? How many of you do not care? Okay. Amen. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I have personally been training all football season to eat a Super Bowl party uh, worthy meal this evening. And so uh, that, that's all that I really care about is the food. Uh, today we're doing a series, starting a series. And, and today's title of the message is Shame Off You. Shame Off You. Uh, maybe you have heard the phrase shame on you, but today we're going to talk about something different. One thing that I've noticed growing up in different churches and being around different preachers and Sunday school teachers, the one thing that I've noticed is shame is never a good motivator. Uh, in fact, it demotivates people. And people may try to motivate somebody through shame, but it typically does not work. If it works, it only works for a short amount of time, and ultimately it fails, and the people that are in that place of shame fail too. The Word says that the enemy is the accuser, that he is the accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the Word says. And, and typically, he's focused in on different areas of your life, trying to whisper near in your ears about different mistakes that you've made, something that you did that you shouldn't have done, or something that you should have done that you didn't do. Or something that you said and shouldn't have said. Or something that you should have said and didn't say. And because he's really, really good at this, I find a lot of people spend a lot of time shooting on themselves. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. And that is just straight from the enemy. Because God doesn't sit around. It's pretty funny if you think about it right there. That's like the closest you can get to cussing in church, and then, but you don't, so that's why it's funny. Because it's like, did the preacher just kind of, yes, I did. This is what it says in Romans 10, 11. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. So the enemy is constantly saying shame on you. But Jesus is saying shame off of you. Off of you. So to set this up, I want to talk about uh, social media. Social media. Because I think this is a great example. Social media world has Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
Insta Story uh, Periscope. MySpace, anybody? Still got your MySpace rocking and rolling? Okay. Uh, and, and, and so you have all these different platforms. Um, but uh, until the last couple of years, on a lot of those platforms, you could post something, and if you weren't paying attention, you could make a pretty big mistake. But it was already posted. And there was nothing that you could do about it. It would just be a moment of shame floating out there for everyone to see because you made a mistake in something that you posted. And so with texting, I mean, how many ever made a mistake with texting ever before? Okay. Uh, and then, then they came up with autocorrect, which typically just means automatically making it incorrect. Uh, it, they, it tries to help you and it doesn't help you at all. And, uh, and so that complicates things even more. And so I found a few great examples of some mistakes that were made, some texts that were sent um, where autocorrect was so helpful um, with, with these people. And so let's look at a couple of these. There's one text message. Hey, Rachel lost her camera last night and she thinks it might be in your womb. <clears throat> um, I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> OMG, I meant to say room gross. Okay. It's a little awkward. Okay. How about this one? Hey, uh, are you going to church on Sudday? Sudzy. Subway. <laughs> OMG, Subday. <laughs> uh, wow, I give up. Struggling much? LOL. God is telling me not to go to church. <laughs> no, he's not. Your great aunt just passed away. LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I have to call everyone back. Oh my gosh. Oh, your generation is so adorable. Uh, I just wanted to say I love you. Oh, babe, I love you too so much. If I could, I'd buy you a casket. (laughs) Ah, a castle. Stupid autocorrect. Way to ruin a moment. I definitely don't want to (laughs) want you in a casket. Hello? (laughs) That's one of those ones where you send it and you're waiting for the little dots to come back up. (laughs) Please, anything. Ah, where's Granny? I thought she was going to be here for Thanksgiving. Grandma is in the grave. <laughs> what grave? What are you saying? Oh, oops, sorry. Garage. She's in, she's in, in the garage. Okay, a couple more. These are too good. Okay, hey, bro, I hate to ask, uh, but could you spot me some cash? Yeah, uh, what, what for? How much? Uh, like $300. Short on my mom's applesauce payment due on the 15th. <laughs> Oh, how much applesauce did you buy from them? Really, Jason? Ah, I'm laughing so hard, I can't hardly breathe. I wrote mortgage payment. Okay, next. (laughs) That Mott's, man, it is just so good. You just can't go without it. A lot of it. Uh, I have to stay after school for leadership. Okay, if you need me sober, let me know. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll be there at 5.30. Yes, mom, I will need you sober. <laughs> Oops, stupid awkward. Sooner is what I meant. Okay. Whew. 
Oh, man. I feel like we could do those all day long. Okay. Oh, here, here's another one. <laughs> this is a text. Uh, I miss Josh so much. I don't think I should have dumped him. Response back. Really? Yes, he was the best thing that ever happened to me. Do you think he still likes me? Question mark. Response, yes, I still like you. This is Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. So Instagram, until just a few years ago, when you would uh, send an an Instagram, you couldn't edit it. Uh, And so how Instagram works is it's usually a picture or video and then you caption it and write a, a short text to go with it, and then you post it out there. And, but for a long time, you would just send it, it's like, oops, now you can go in, it has an option where you can backspace, and you can delete, and you can write over that mistake that was made. I think our lives are like this. Because of Jesus, Jesus allows us to rewrite the mistakes, the old stories, He is the great editor. And for a long time, it wasn't as strong. uh, But there was an upgrade at the cross. And that upgrade allows us now to go back and rewrite. Anytime something has happened, we can go back and rewrite the story. Edit. Rewrite it. A lot of times, people are confused between the difference of conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is always what the enemy is trying to get you to live in and exist in so that you never move beyond your sin. As long as you're in condemnation, the likelihood that you will be caught in a cycle of repetitive sin is a lot stronger. But conviction is something that the Holy Spirit does to try to lead you out of the place where you don't have to be in condemnation to a place of change, to a place of repentance. The Holy Spirit, in a lot of ways... He guides us. He leads us. He's, he's a lot like, a, like an umpire or a ref. Anybody ever watched uh, these, the little kids in like upwards basketball? Like, like five and six-year-olds? Like the whole time these kids are playing, they have no idea what they're doing. Like it's not uncommon for them just to pick up the basketball and not dribble for like five or six steps. Much like the NBA. And, uh, and, 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 so, and, and they don't know where their basket is. And so the whole time the, the refs... The parents, everybody is just yelling all at the same time. No, the other way. But they're yelling at both teams, and so there's just mass confusion. It doesn't really matter because they don't make it an either goal, really. So it doesn't matter which way the goal is. But, but everybody is trying to get them passionately to go towards the right goal. The same thing happened with soccer with our kids. It's just like, no, the other way, the other way. You, you spend 10 minutes before every game just making sure they know what their goal is. And as soon as the game starts, they forget what goal is theirs. And I find that the same thing is true in our lives. Uh, the Word of God is very clear in the direction and the goal that He set for us, but, but we forget quickly. We're easily distracted. We're easily taken off course. And so the Holy Spirit is just constantly trying to say, you're headed the wrong way. Turn around. That's not your goal. That's not what you need to be pointing your life at. Turn around. It's not uncommon for, for people to say something nice, maybe about one of our surface services, where they, they just say that they felt good about it, they felt at home, or they, they, they felt the presence of God. 
Um, sometimes they, that's what they're feeling, but they're not even sure what it is that they're feeling. They just feel something different. Uh, but from time to time, we'll we get some, some responses back that, that aren't necessarily like that. A while back, I was doing follow-up with our Connect cards because I, I like to reach out to the people that, that turn in our Connect cards and, I, and just ask them, you know, how was your experience? You know, uh, what would you think? Is, is there anything that we can do for you? Can we pray for you in any way? And a while back, I, I sent this text to this, this man who's relatively new at our church, and, and he may even be here right now. Uh, when I send the text, I ask him, you know, how it's going. He's like, uh, it, it's really rough. Every time I go to church, I always feel horrible at the end. He's like, I don't think I'm going to come back. I said, oh, okay. Well, like, what's wrong? What, what happens? He's like, I just feel bad. I feel like I'm a terrible person. I said, well, what is it that you did that makes you feel so horrible. And so he started telling me about this thing that he did, and, and as he laid it out, I was smiling with, wow, that's really bad. You should feel bad about that. I'm joking. I didn't say that. Uh, I was just like, man, that, that, isn't, that isn't coming from the church. That's coming from the enemy. And what you're feeling is, is guilt, but if you don't allow God to forgive you, that guilt will turn into condemnation. And if it does, you're going to be stuck. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to help you, but if you can't allow forgiveness to come into that area of your life, it doesn't matter where you go to church, you're going to feel terrible. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to help you. The problem in our culture is most people don't have any kind of guilt whatsoever. They don't feel guilty about anything. The Bible talks about it. It says that their hearts are callous. It says they have a reprobate mind. In Romans it says that they, they just kind of do whatever they want. Their ears cannot hear the truth. Their eyes cannot see truth. They're just dead spiritually. And, and these people get to a place where they don't, they don't blush or even blink at sin. I remember having conversations with my grandparents, how they were talking about TV now versus when they were watching TV. And they told me that when they would watch TVs growing up, these sitcoms, that, that a husband and wife that were married would not even sleep in the same bed together. Uh, and they would, they would rarely ever even show them in a bed. But if they did, they were in separate beds and like covered head to toe. Well, now <laughs> it's like a man, a woman, or whatever. In a bed, together, they may not even know each other's names. And there's a camera right there under the sheets with them. But we become so callous to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we don't even see that. So there's no, there's no guilt there. Guilt, guilt is when you, it's when you feel bad for something you did. But shame is when you begin to allow what you did to find who you are. And that's always what the enemy is trying to do. Another example, you may... 
struggle with looking at pornography. But maybe you're really good at hiding it, and so over time, you're going to become callous to it, where you have no conviction whatsoever anymore. But one day, someone might catch you, walk in on you. Well, at that point, you're going to feel really guilty. But if you don't allow conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you'll just find yourself in shame. And if you find yourself in a place of shame, you're just going to get that much better at hiding the sin. And God wants to set you free. God wants you to respond to the conviction, first of all. He wants you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you because He's not trying to keep you from enjoying something. He's actually trying to make sure that you enjoy life and that you have life to the full. He would rather you just respond to His conviction. This is a powerful verse in Galatians 5.1. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Shame is going back into the bondage of sin over and over and over again. Jesus wants shame off of you. And maybe you've heard shame on you. But probably all of us at one point or another by maybe a mom or a dad or a family member, like we heard that because we did something really bad. We've heard that shame on you. But that is not the heart of God. God is trying to get the shame off of us. Jesus is the only one that can edit your shame, but a lot of times we try to do it. Some problems with that. You can't edit shame with a feeling of holiness because a lot of times people think, man, I just have this heavy burden of shame. But if I can carry this and still try to carry it with God, then this burden will earn my holiness. If I can just feel bad long enough, if I can feel guilty long enough, if I can feel unworthy long enough, then maybe that can earn me some holiness. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy of For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Meaning he wanted to destroy shame in our lives. Jesus, with joy in his heart, knew that because he went to the cross, it would destroy shame. But only if we let him do it. If we surrender to his sacrifice. There isn't a sacrifice that you can make that'll help you eradicate shame. It was already eradicated by him on the cross. But you have to walk in that. That mistake in your marriage, that mistake in your business, that mistake with friends, that that mistake with, with drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. Yes, it happened, but it is not what God has for you. And it is not how God sees you. God is trying to build you as a man or woman of God. The enemy is trying desperately to get you defined by that mistake. 
to get you defined by the situation, to get you defined by the circumstance, to get you defined by something someone did or someone said to you that hurts you. God is trying to put you in a place where you have confidence no matter what you've done, what you've said, or what you've been through, you are still His. And because of Jesus, you are worthy to praise Him. That's what He's trying to do. The enemy wants to have you defined as that person who was divorced, as that person of adultery, of that person of addiction, as that person of alcoholism, as that person of insecurity, as that person who failed your kid, as that person who failed in business, as that person who couldn't hold down a job, as that person. The listing goes on and on and on. But God clearly doesn't see you that way. It reminds me of Jacob in the Bible. The name Jacob actually means deceiver. It means trickster. Okay, but some of y'all might have the name Jacob now, and it's a cool name. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, names had significant meaning. And so, and it goes back to when he and his brother, they were twins. When they were born, Jacob was grabbing the heel of his twin brother, like out of the womb, trying to make sure that he was the firstborn. Well, he was a baby, but it was, it was foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing the way he was going to live his life. Because he spent his whole life. I mean, imagine that. Your name is Jacob, which means deceiver, trickster, liar. Hey, good morning, Jacob. Good morning, deceiver. Jacob, it's time for lunch. Hey, trickster, time for lunch. And this is what he heard. Well, he began to live that way. He, de- he deceived his brother. He deceived his father. Eventually deceived his uncle. He lived this way. Until one day he had an encounter with God. And he wrestled with God. And God asked him, what is your name? He had to come face to face with the fact that he had let some things define him. He had let some things into his life. And God was calling him out on it. What is your name? And Jacob said, It is deceiver. It is trickster. It is manipulator. God never once called him Jacob. God said, No, your name is Israel, which means prince with God. And I believe that is exactly what God is trying to do in some of your lives today. And it's time for you to come face to face with the thing that you have allowed to define you in your life, the shame that you allowed to turn into condemnation, that determined to, that turned into a title of your life. And it's time for you to come face to face with God and confess that and let Him lift your shame and give you a new name. And I'm not saying you need to actually literally change your name. You may not... But I know people that have done that. I know people that because of their past and because of the way they lived, they had gotten to a place where their name was synonymous with everything that was contrary to what God said about them. So they literally, legally changed their name. But God wants to do this work in your heart. He wants to do this work in your life. Another thing you can't do with shame, you can't edit shame with a cover-up. Or while hiding away. It'll never work. The greatest example of this is Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve had it made. 
They're walking around in the garden, this perfect place, Garden of Eden, walking around, no clothes, no in-laws, perfect. Everything was amazing. And I believe, you know, any time that you study the Word of God, any time that something is mentioned, you have to look at the original mention of it in the Word of God to find out what God, God's original intent was. Okay, so as it's setting up what the Garden of Eden looked like and, and who Adam and Eve were, this was God's original intention, that they were walking every day in the cool of the day in conversation with God. This was who God is. This is what he originally intended. But God said, you can do anything. You can have anything. You can have anything. There's one thing, just one, that you can't have. And they decided, they decided to give in to temptation. And they decided that if they were really going to have what they really wanted and everything that they thought that they deserved, that they had to operate outside of the boundaries that God had set up. And so the enemy convinced them. And so they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sin entered the world. And the original intent was completely destroyed. And so what did they do? The first thing they did was they covered. They covered shame. They covered it. And there's a whole teaching on that. And it says that they hid. They hid. And then they started to blame. As God showed up and it says, well, what happened? And God knew what happened. He was giving them the opportunity. I wonder what could have happened if they would have responded to conviction. Like What would have happened? How different would it have been if Adam is just like, I blew it, I made a mistake. No, he pointed at Eve. The woman gave it to me. And Eve was like, but the snake, the serpent, he was the one. And they entered into shame. And they carried that. Another example that how that shame carried through generation to generation, the Israelites, they were in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptians. And during that time, they were completely degraded. They were abused in every shape and fashion that you can imagine, physically, emotionally, sexually. For 400 years, they were abused. The thing about people that are continually abused is they begin to believe that it's actually their fault. They actually believe that there is something wrong with them, that they've done something wrong. And so God comes and and he delivers them out of slavery, but they were still not delivered from their shame. And the whole reason why God called them into the wilderness was so that they could deal with their true identity in him. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because God was trying to get them to come to a place of surrendering what 400 years of titles and labeling had done in their lives to come to a place of surrender to know that they were the children of God. But at one point, God comes to Joshua, and Joshua 5, 9 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. I've rolled away the shame. 
God is trying to roll the days of Egypt off of your life too. That whatever you went through, whatever the situation, the circumstance, the abuse that you encountered, it does not have to define you and you don't have to carry that shame. You can't edit shame by working on it someday. God is trying to do it now. God is trying to do it now. Look, if I were God, I'd be mad at you all the time. I'd be mad at you all the time. But that's not the way that God works. That's not the way that he edits our shame and our sin. He wants to roll it around away right now. This one time I was praying for somebody at the altar. And I could tell as soon as they walked up, man, they were carrying it big time. Shame. I said, man, what, what do you need prayer for? And they went into that years ago, um, they noticed somebody that wasn't their spouse. And that person noticed them. And it went from a look to a word. They started complimenting each other. Next thing you know, they went and hung out outside of where they had met. Well, you know the rest of the story. And so this person was just covered in this shame. And, and, and they, they felt like they'd done everything they could. They told their family. They quit that place where they had met that person, got as far away from them as they could. And they, he, they were doing everything they could to try to make things right. And, and he, he remained married. But now he knew that everyone looked at them and thought, man, they have this amazing marriage. But he felt like it was a lie. And it caused depression in his life. And it caused him to take drugs and drink. And so I was just praying for him like, today, today. It's not someday God's going to heal you. It's today. God is ready to roll the shame. It is in your past. It is in your past. And God is not looking at your past. He is looking at you now. And if you have repented, then shame is from the enemy. And I believe that when we prayed that day, that person was set free completely. I believe that God worked in their lives in a supernatural way. Not every altar ministry experience I have is that powerful. I just want you to know, like, I'm not always great at altar ministry. Because there's another time that a, a, a guy came up to me, and he seemed like he was carrying something, too. I was at a youth conference, and... You do altar calls at a youth conference. The, the worship band, they do not care that you're trying to talk to people at the altar. They're just in their own world playing as loud as they want, having their own little Jesus moment. And so I'm trying to pray for this guy, but I'm having a hard time hearing him. But as he's speaking to me, what I do hear him say is drinking. And so I was like, okay, so he's a young man. I was like, man, this, he's, he's got a problem with drinking. And so 
So I started praying for him. Man, I called down fire from heaven. I bound and broke every spirit of addiction that could ever attach itself to him. I broke it from generation to generation, whether it came from his great, 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 great grandfather or wherever it came down, that that generational curse was broken and that he would never struggle with it ever again. I prayed my heart out and I felt really good at the end of that prayer. And I said, amen. And I opened my eyes and I looked at his face and he had one of these. I was like, I don't know what your problem is. That was an amazing prayer. <laughs> I was talking with his youth pastor later. And I said, hey, I, I, I was just curious. I, I prayed for so-and-so uh, earlier. And, uh, man, he, uh, he said it. He's, it just was weird. It was a little off. He's like, yeah, he told me about that. I was like, oh, he did. Did he tell you about the prayer? It was, it was good, right? He's like, yeah, um, here's the thing. He is like the model student in our youth group. He's amazing. He's a, he's, a, he's a mighty man of God. But he felt really convicted that he had been drinking too much Coca-Cola. <laughs> and that it almost had become a little bit of an idol in his life. And so he was just wanted somebody to pray with him that he would be able to. I said, all right. Well, he will never struggle with alcoholism. I guarantee you that. Uh, he won't. His kids won't. His grandkids won't. Nobody anywhere around him is ever going to struggle with alcohol. But you see the difference between conviction and shame. This young man just felt convicted about the smallest thing. Shame, man, it'll keep you in bondage. How does Jesus edit your shame? First of all, he edits it instantly. Instantly. Nehemiah 9.17, you're a God of forgiveness, always ready. Everybody say ready. Ready Ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful, full of love. Isaiah 55.7, God is merciful and quick to forgive. God is more ready to forgive you right now than you're ready to ask for forgiveness. But he is always ready. He's ready. He is sitting at the edge of his seat, maybe today is the day they're going to stop carrying this and just ask, and I'll forgive. I'm ready. I'm ready. He also edits completely. He edits completely. Colossians 2.13, he has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads. And he has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Completely. This includes the sin from your past and the sin of your future. He is ready to forgive. He has annihilated it. I mentioned earlier, if I were God, I'd be mad at you. Why would I be mad at you? Because you might be like, man, like I had a really good month. Like I'm doing really well. Well, yeah, but next year, next year, (laughs) man, you're going to do something that really ticks me off. But that is not how God sees it. He edits completely, completely. The word says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, well, if he is above time and space, he sees the beginning and the end. The record would include everything in the spans of time, all of it. 
And it says he keeps no record. No record. Also, he edits freely. He edits freely. Romans 3.23. We're very familiar with this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But it goes on to say, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sins. Freely. But free doesn't mean inexpensive. Because God paid a huge price. Jesus paid a huge price. It cost him himself. The humiliation of coming to earth and dying on a cross. Jesus was rejected by his own father for our shame, for my shame, for my sin. Here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with you going to therapy to get help about something in your life. And there's amazing therapists out there, Christian therapists. But what I find is this, that will only bring relief. That will only bring relief. Jesus brings release. And it's only by coming to him that you can have it lifted. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. It's so important that you understand the love that God has for you. That song that we're, we just started doing, man. That, I love it. I love the, the, the picture that it gives. The mountain that's, that's not high enough. The wall that'll kick down. The lie that'll tear down. And I'll tell you what, when I hear that, man, I, I, every time I see it, I'm just, I'm praying with everything that I have. God, help the people in this place get a revelation of this. Because here's the thing. When you continue to carry the shame, when you continue to carry the sin, what you're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. And here's the thing, you may allow him to edit some of your mistakes, but you may have that one that you insist that you're gonna hold on to. Because that one surely is just too big and too grotesque and too shameful for him to be able to forgive. But here's the thing. If you're gonna believe that for yourself, you have to also believe it for everyone else. You have to believe it for everyone. You have to believe that every person that has ever lived and every person that is now living, that all of them must have this one thing that God can't forgive, that the cross didn't pay for. You have to believe that for your kids. You have to believe that there is something that they're going to do at some point that somehow won't be forgiven. And here's the thing. If it's not completely forgiven, then there is eternal separation from God. But when Jesus came and he did what he did, he did it completely. He did it completely. 
And you don't have to understand everything about it because you can understand that kind of grace and love. All you have to do is accept it and walk in it. Just accept it. Just accept it. God will give you the revelation of it as you walk with him. But it is so hard to have a revelation of that when you are under the weight of shame, when you're under the weight of condemnation, because that's all you can see. But today, in Jesus' name, be released. It starts, though, with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough to believe in God. Satan himself believes in God and shudders. It's not enough to come to church. It's important, but it doesn't do it. It is when you have a personal revelation in your heart that yes, your sin separates you from God. But Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price completely and totally and wholly. Jesus paid the price. And if you're here today and you've never just released and surrendered your life and all that it is to who he is and what he did, then I want to give you a chance to do that. So if, if you're here, you've never accepted Jesus as the forgiver and savior and also as your Lord. Or maybe you've been walking under some shame. You've been walking under some condemnation and it has caused you to distance yourself away from God, to make you feel like you are not worthy to be anywhere close to him, anywhere close to his presence. But today you're ready to tear down the lie and rededicate your life to Jesus and to come back into relationship with him again. If you're either one of those people, nobody looking around, if that's you, put your hand up right now all over this room and I wanna pray for you. Let's just declare it. Let's confess it. I need Jesus. I need a savior. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I got you back here. Thanks. Anybody else? I need a savior. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I need a savior. I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I don't want to walk under this shame, under this guilt anymore. Anybody else in this room? Okay. Yes, got it. Anybody else? Father God, I thank you for those few hands. Your word says that even one person gets to this place where they they trust in you that all of heaven rejoices. So thank you, God. Thank you for moving in their hearts. And if you're in that place right now, just talk to them and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I feel guilty about it, but I'm not gonna stay in my guilt. Right now, I'm I'm gonna confess it as sin to you. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I believe that that sacrifice paid for it all. I can't understand it. I can't understand how you could love me, how you could have that kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness for my life. But I just choose to accept it right now. And I wanna walk in it. And I know that the way that I walk in that is I surrender to you and I surrender to you daily that you're gonna, you're gonna be in control and I'm not gonna live the way I wanna live. I wanna live the way you have for me to live because the way that you have for me is the best way, will always be the best way. There's nothing that's ever gonna compare to living in your plan and in your purpose. God, give me the strength and give me the wisdom and lead me by your spirit and show me in your word daily, God, what it looks like to be your son or daughter. Thank you for that.
Lord, I thank you. It is for freedom that you've set us free. God, I know that the only way that we can be the sons and daughters and and the church and the body that you've called us to be is that we walk in freedom. We don't walk in shame. We don't walk in guilt and condemnation. We walk in freedom. We walk out repentance daily. We walk out an understanding that if we are trusting in you, then you define us. You give us our name. You give us our title. I thank you for that, Father God. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you're thankful for the word of God, those four people, raise their hand to get right with Jesus. Come on, let's give them some praise today.